This is the Power to Podcast, show 127, Summer PD Series number two. And you invest so much time. And in the short term, it just feels like you're investing time and you're just, just going to do it again when you get reshuffled up. But you're also changing the trajectory of their teaching career by providing that guidance. And. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Erman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt. I am graduating Rogers. Matt, big news, my friends. Ready to share? Yeah, I guess so. Um, now, we're recording this in April, uh, almost May, but you'll be listening to this over the summer. And as we're recording this, I have recently, fresh off the press, gotten word that I am changing grade levels. Um, and I, I would start by saying I've been teaching fourth grade for eight years. Um, I taught special ed for five years before that, and I'm moving a whopping three hall, well, doors down the hallway, um, to fifth grade. And Ken, and honestly, it feels like the move that I made from my first house to my second house, I bought in the same neighborhood one road differently. It was seven tenths of a mile, almost insulting to pack up all of your stuff and move it down uh, to the new house. It, it's kind of at that point of things are swirling in my head of I have to pack up everything, but don't put it away because it's just put it on rolling carts and push it down the hallway. Right. And so to clarify for our audience, uh, for our summer series, Matt and I like to try to hyper-focus on a specific topic. And this one is going to be really big changes in your in your position of teaching. And so our typical show format, we have amazing guests on where we learn about their classroom, we learn about their passions and what they do to really make learning special for their students. Uh, but like I said, for our summer series, we like to really uh, niche down and focus on a specific topic. So we're going to look at change and this could, and we want to do this early in the summer series because hopefully uh, for our listeners, if you are changing classrooms, you're changing subject areas, you're changing schools, there's so many opportunities for big drastic change in education. We want to go through some mindsets, some ideas, some strategies you can potentially use to to help prepare yourself for that new school year. So like as a secondary teacher, you're moving from seventh to eighth, or you're moving from middle school to high school or, or vice versa. You're changing courses that you teach in the high school. Or, you know, in my district, you could move to one of two other middle schools. So there's a lot of potential for change. An elementary teacher, obviously grade level, you could be shifting into special ed, out of special ed. So there's so many opportunities for those drastic changes like Matt is going through, even though it's just one grade level, it is a big, big shift. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, to think about the, the timeline, 
this happens this time of year every year. And I think everyone walks a little bit uh, tenser in that March, April, May, waiting to see if they're going to be involved with any adjustments, because naturally people come and leave. We are fortunate that we have two career teachers that are going out in retirement that I've worked with directly, which is awesome. And so at that point, we're in a, a realm where I'm qualified to teach special ed K through 12. I'm also qualified to teach regular ed K through six, which a lot of our new ed educators have to choose that K through four or five through eight spectrum if you're going elementary. And so being widely qualified definitely makes this time of year all the more uncomfortable. So I am moving up and actually a friend of the podcast, uh, I'll announce it for him, uh, Mr. Anthony Wiggins, my former student teacher, is taking my role in fourth grade, which is very exciting. Yeah, so very, very exciting stuff. But I guess kind of the realm of where I want to go with this conversation is, can you have some experience changing roles going from fifth grade fifth grade specialized subject area, and then into that STEM special before obviously moving into the position you're in now. And I want to know a few things from your perspective about when you feel like you're building from scratch. Because right now, I think it's, it's hard to know what you don't know in education. And I'm walking into this move knowing the students that I had last year are going to be continuing with me. But the a, a reminder, a very small district, there's only one other teacher in this grade level. So I'm adding a, a friend of mine. Um, Anita Gerben is going to be my cooperative teacher, which is very exciting. She loves ELA. I have a love hate relationship with ELA. So I am going to be teaching math and science. Very exciting to kind of focus, but I don't know where to start. Uh, I know fourth grade, I was talking to Kristen, my wife, I was saying like, I have these fears of saying, I know eight years of what fourth grade was supposed to look like. And I don't want to make fifth grade, fourth grade boosted. I want to have high expectations, but it's difficult to identify what those expectations are when I'm so ingrained to the curricular level and material of fourth grade for so long. So I guess starting that conversation, you get the news that you're changing positions before worrying about curriculum. How mind shift, mindset shift are you going into this so that you look with a new perspective, open eyes, and all of your experience you can use to your advantage, not kind of pushing through to, to get to what you need to focus on. So I would say, putting curriculum aside, you want to look at the skills and the assets you have that you've built over your career, both in special ed and teaching fourth grade. Even just making like a, a strengths and weaknesses comparison chart or uh, lessons you've learned in terms of the facilitation of a classroom and what you think makes your, your classroom pulse on a daily basis. And I think really looking at those and establishing those and identifying those will be extremely helpful. And you're going to have to adjust the way they look, but think of them as core values. 
What are your core values as a teacher? I can tell you what mine were, and I can tell you that they didn't change when I went from teaching fifth grade to a self-contained classroom to teaching three first grade, three second grade, three third grade, fourth and fifth grade classrooms for 45 minutes a week in a STEM class. My core values persisted through that. And I had to adjust how to accomplish them. And I had to adjust my expectations. But for me, it's getting students in charge of the classroom as much as possible. So when I only have a group of students for 45 minutes once a week, that's very different. And the different grade levels makes adds in another layer of that. But that was a core value for me. And I didn't want that to change. And so I was focused on how do I accomplish that and how do I continue that? And so with moving into a new grade level, I would just encourage you to think about what are your core values that you think make your classroom a great place for students? What are your core values that make you feel the most confident as an educator to guide your students toward, toward success? And then start to think about how will I adjust this for fifth grade students? You know where they're starting. They're starting where they typically end with you. So that's your, that's your, that's your baseline. That's your floor. So what do you think you can truly get out of them and how can you design expectations to move towards that? So I, I love that. I think that that's what comes natural. I think we've talked about this on the podcast a ton teaching like myself or yourself or whoever's listening, your style staying, staying true to that, I think is very reasonable. There are parts of my classroom that are going to adjust very seamlessly with me as I move grade levels. And again, this is not a, I'm teaching a slightly growner version of exactly what I just taught. I'm not going down three, four grade levels. So I know that that's not a big deal, but I also want to respect that it's a different group of kids too, even though technically they're the same maturation wise and developmentally, I don't want them to, I'm not worried about them viewing me as their old fourth grade teacher. I'm worried about respecting them as the age that they are because I've seen them for now a year plus. And I had experience in this role when I was teaching special ed, I would loop with kids, but teaching kids in four or five kid sets all the time, you get a different version of kids all the time. So in some homework group, I think you could do this summer is read that book you've mentioned many times the milestones the the milestones where it, can you can you share what that book is yeah so milestones is part of uh, a series put out by responsive classroom which is a training but it's available outside of their publication and what it talks about is it's kind of like our pedagogy 101 from college where it talks about developmentally what would you expect from students of a certain age range so it talks about age what is expected of a 10 year old, what is usual of an 11 year old, specifically in this situation, but it starts in pre K and goes all the way up to sixth grade. So you can kind of say, oh, is defiance a normal characteristic of someone at this age, uh, dealing a little bit more with hormones and body development? And, uh, oh, I'm looking across at 
another student and I don't have the same disdain for them that I used to. Not that that's a huge thing in fifth grade, but I mean, being real, I remember having a crush in fifth grade. It wasn't outside of that possibility. So I think that is one of the values of a, a resource like what can I learn about that age range and separate it from the students' names and the background that I know of them? I think so, it'll give you a I think it'll give you a good target for how to reset your expectations to see what is what is supposed to be different developmentally for the students that you're gonna have this year or next year and and really allow you to push the limits for what you think is possible for them and have higher expectations. Now I want to just shift for a quick side note. Can you taught fifth grade math specifically? And what are some of the features of focusing on like middle school, high school, I think it makes sense. You are a subject matter expert in your field. You know it to a uh, almost, if not professional level, um, what are some of the attributes you would consider when departmentalizing at a lower grade or a grade that is not always common? Because when I went through fifth grade, I had a teacher just like every other elementary grade where they taught all the subjects as well as they could. What are some of the pros and cons in a situation that you see when you are focusing on a subject area specifically? I think one of the easiest pros is that you get to you get to focus on that subject area. You're going to teach it twice a day, so you're going to have that luxury of trying things again, adjusting and tweaking. And one of the things I always tell, especially second secondary teachers, because they do this on a daily basis, is throw off your pacing so that your classes, your morning class is not always the first time, and your afternoon is not always the second time. Just like period, you know, I say, make sure period one is not always getting the first version of your lesson. Throw them a day behind every once in a while, because the fact is you're doing a better job the second or the third time that you're doing something. And so you now will have that luxury to try things again for the second time. I think when you are departmentalized, it allows you to focus a little bit more on the standards in which you're teaching and maybe thinking about students from a data perspective, a little bit heavier and less as a, as a person perspective. If you've listened to this show any times more than once, no matter how much I talk about student centered learning, no matter how much I talk about using data, my relationships with students was always tops. But I do think that my focus and my strength in using data to guide instruction was maximized because I was departmentalized for so many years and I was teaching math three times a day to a grade level of 90 of 95th graders. And so I think it gives you that opportunity because now in theory, you're doing half the lesson planning, right? I mean, it, there's obviously it's not as simple of an equation as that, but at the end of the day, you're, you're repeating your day halfway through. So when you start to look at a lesson and you start to think about how am I going to group students or when they break off into independent work, is there some sort of precursor data that you can use to know who you're going to work with before that happens? Or you can think more about what can I do before I release them towards independent work? 
can I do a quick check to know who to pull? And so I think it allows you to think about the flow of a lesson more and less of what the heck am I going to do today because I have five different subjects to teach. And so I think you can focus more on the, the who and less on the what in terms of the lessons you're facilitating. So moving right along, obviously curriculum is a big portion of it. And I think where I found myself going first is looking at SAS, uh, so our uh, academic standards in the grade level, specifically math related. So I'll teach math and science because shocker, I don't know if you guys are aware in Pennsylvania, <laughs> Uh, fifth grade will be taking the science PSSAs, which I know that this is not a Pennsylvania specific, but that's a change from fourth grade teaching it. And so I, I don't know if this move is, I, I'll, Ken, I'll tell you this, this move was not disciplinary. I was not moved because I needed to move, which I realistically is something that does happen very frequently. Uh, I was promised it was not disciplinary, but instead with the change of science being a priority, now leading as a fifth grade uh, opportunity as opposed to fourth, they wanted me to move up with that. So beyond standards, I guess, dare to answer this, uh, how uh, I know you will, do you feel like you are tied more getting oriented to the grade level standards or the curriculum that I know that our district has adopted that should align to the standards and is my bread and butter when it comes to the baseline of what I should be teaching. So are you saying, should you invest more time in diving into the curriculum or diving into the standards? Early on. Yeah. Early, early on. on, which would you go? Because on day one, I'm going to have to teach the curriculum that in some ways I'm trusting is representing the standards um, eventually i think i'll acquire what is grade level standards without even looking at the standards i think that's the beauty of teaching a grade level year in and year out but and, and specializing yes but um, where would you go because again we're big fans of teacher liberty to make those choices but i also know that my district spent a lot of money to acquire this specific curriculum I need to teach in a lot of ways that that curriculum. I would always encourage teachers, regardless of the grade level, regardless of this of the subject area, to look at the standards first. And because the reality is, if your district is using a program to be the curriculum or to supplement as the main resource for the curriculum, those programs were not designed for Pennsylvania. In our case, they were not designed for whatever state you live in. They were designed as national products that could be sold to every teacher in every state, as well as other countries, I would assume. And there's, you know, I, I don't know beyond that, but I know that those are being sold nationally. And every state does not have the same standards. They're pretty close. Common Core has aligned it pretty close. But in Pennsylvania specifically, we have PA Core. Pennsylvania looked at Common Core and said, oh, we like 95% of it, but we're going to change it and call it something different. The reality is, is that those programs are not perfectly designed. I think it is essential for teachers to look at your standards, 
In Pennsylvania, there's something called eligible content, which gives a little bit more specificity to the standard to know exactly what students are assessed on. Know your standards and, and then you have that as a lens for when you get, when you go lesson by lesson in your curriculum or your program to say, oh, this isn't a Pennsylvania standard or, oh, this is not eligible content. I'm not saying don't do it, but don't spend a lot of time on it. When you get to the pieces that are heavy hitters in the standards, that's what you should be spending multiple days on going through and whether it's doing everything that the program says or doing what the program says and then adding your own modifications. But I truly believe that all teachers would be less stressed about pacing and would be less stressed about curriculum if they invested the time to look at the standards or to have someone help them look at the standards if they don't quite understand how to look at it. I vividly remember when I was teaching fifth grade after probably two years, I looked at the standards and said, oh my God, I have an entire unit in this curriculum that is not even a standard. And I stopped teaching that unit completely. Now, ironically, two years after that, we got the new version of everyday math, which was much, much closer, closer aligned. And so it kind of just matched what I had modified to do. I probably changed the order of, of the units, but it was that I, I spent that time to look at the standards to see what are students actually expected to learn. And so you moving into fifth grade, you moving into a new position, look at the standards, look at the eligible content so that you have that lens. So now, you know, when I get a new unit, when I get a new curriculum or especially a new program, I look at the table of contents. I look at what are the units and what are the, you know, what's the six, the six word uh, lesson title of each one. Just go through that and put a star in that table of contents next to each one that matches eligible content or put a check mark if it matches a standard. And then look at that and say, are there any ones without a star or check mark? Right away, right off the bat, skip them or go through them very quickly. Or look at a way to take some of the pieces of it and flip that just into independent work as a part of stations. And then you don't even need to directly teach it yourself. But I think it's really important for you to know exactly what's being expected of you from the state level not from this national program that was purchased that doesn't truly align. Well, I think that kind of adjusts. Uh, we've talked and I've, I've asked every guest that will answer the question related to scripted curriculum. I found myself finding a balance that I'm excited to employ with a new curriculum, which is at least math wise. I think we often see these worksheets at the end of a lot of these lessons as the markers of whether or not they were successful in the lesson. And I found myself being able to recognize that I can teach whatever in the world I want to teach as long as they would be able to accomplish those as the end result. And that has given me a whole lot of freedom in the short term to feel like I'm still utilizing something that if an admin from curriculum is asking, am I using the program? I am by all means, and I'm using it almost as exit tickets or check-ins or station rotation, but the way that I get to deliver the instruction has flexibility, has my own style, has deviations that I feel like is appropriate, has 
the inclusions or exclusions of things that I either feel are necessary or not. And I feel like that has given me a ton of freedom and, and clarity of how to use curriculum that I feel tethered to, but also still represent my style. I think that's the marriage. And eventually with years that might turn into increasing PBL or using some of these higher quality teaching strategies through rotations or um, whether it's flipped learning, those type activities that could. And I feel like I actually have the time to invest in creation of those because I'm repeating content more than once every 180 days and I'm going to be using it for a long time going forward. So transitioning the conversation i think another portion that i'm dealing with is the real life implications of it it is very minimal for on paper me switching from fourth to fifth grade we're changing within the same school district but so much of teaching is our identity can you speak about being a former fifth grade teacher a STEM specialist, a tech integrator, if you take future roles, you are going to speak fondly of that. It's so much of our identity. Like my identity has been a fourth grade teacher. And adding to that, I've built such a work style marriage with my coworker um, that, again, coworker because I have one, but we, we create friends that turn to family that are integrated into our daily life that we spend more time than sometimes our own family. Adding to the layer that Kristen, my wife, is also a fourth grade teacher in the same district. We are two of five and for years and years and years, it genuinely has brought us pride to say we make up almost the majority of the grade level team. So maybe a little advice of, of how to navigate maintaining relationships and friendships and how important is that with former grade level partners but also recognizing that you almost have to sign up for a new marriage with your your new team and and how do you respectfully navigate that and show value when this move may or may not have been your choice so as far as your former grade level partners, I would say that there's not a huge change there, except it pretty much now just becomes a friendship. Being in the same school, you're going to see your former grade level partner constantly, but you're not going to be doing it to co-plan. You're not going to be doing it to talk about where you are. It, it just becomes more of a friendship. And so I honestly like that I've left teams or team members have left me because when you have a strong connection like you you have had with your grade level partner it just become kind of becomes a, a friendship piece and so you still have that professional friendship that professional relationship and there's still a colleague for you to lean on there's still uh, you're still a colleague to them to lean on so you still have that that capacity as far as your new team member i think it's really important to go in with an open mind and to remember that you're coming there with strengths 
and weaknesses. And your grade level partner is going to have strengths and weaknesses of their own. And to remember that, especially with you being departmentalized and you're going to be sharing kids, that your collaboration is essential for the success of your fifth graders. And so as middle school teachers, when you share grade, when you, when you're on a specific grade level and you have those grade level partners, again, your collaboration as a team, as a team is essential for the success of those students. As high school teachers, it gets a little bit more difficult because you can have a mix of grade levels in your classrooms, depending on your subject area, but still you're all investing in these, in these kids to be successful. And I think it's really important for you to know you're bringing strengths and you can bring some ideas to the fifth grade teacher who's already been there for a while, but also realize that you have a new opportunity to learn. When you look at your relationship you have with your current grade level partner in fourth grade, you've probably maximized the learning opportunity from each other. There's not really much left for her to learn from you or for you to learn from her you now have a new opportunity to, to reach that maximum potential again. And so when I look back at the different grade level partners I have, I also saw that I was able to learn different things from dis- different sets of partners that I have, things that made me stronger as a teacher, that I only had that opportunity because I had new grade level partners. And so for a while in fifth grade, I was the after a couple of years, I was the, the senior of the, of the team. It was kind of a, a revolving door for a little while. And so I had multiple different teams and, and different combinations of that team. And so, you know, as that, as a senior person on a team, I think you hold the essentials of like, what are the things that happen every year in that grade level? What are the special events? What are the field trips? If that's the case, but being new gives you the opportunity to bring new ideas right away. And so I think it's important for you to look at that perspective of you're bringing new assets to the grade level and you are also creating the opportunity to gain new assets from your new partner. So I have two kind of follow-ups and then any questions you might have for me. So the first one is, how do you think your advice might change based on Moving to a team with a seasoned vet, how, if you feel like, uh, I'll put it this way, you know, you have an alpha of a team sometimes, and then you have the people that kind of slide in. Um, I've been the complimentary piece early in my career. When I moved to regular ed, I tried to become the team leader and did that for a long, long time, welcoming others onto the staff as those complementary pieces. So do you navigate those changes at all differently if it is seasoned teacher acquiring someone green or new or uh, unexperienced, like what my my current team member is doing? She is welcoming Anthony, who is a brand new teacher. He's been in the classroom and in the district for a year, but he is brand new to teaching. How is her mindset becoming the alpha, the, the team leader? What is guidance for her? What is guidance for when you are in Anthony's position 
adding into a group when you don't technically know you have a ton of excitement and a lot to give and maybe lastly if it's any differently if you're walking into a classroom across someone who is a team leader and you previously were a team leader how do you kind of mesh those um, as seamlessly as possible hopefully that makes sense and clarify it if it doesn't it does i think it depends on your personality and your leadership qualities and just your your confidence overall i think for your former grade level partner who is going to be accepting a brand new teacher she does have to pick up the slack she has to become a mentor to anthony and so whether she likes it or not that is her duty as an educator you have a brand new educator coming in who's passion who's competent who has all the skills to be a great teacher but he needs someone to to mentor him and so yes that is her responsibility whether she likes it or not doesn't mean that she has to do extra work for him but she needs to be there to support him and i think for anthony depending on his confidence level, he shouldn't be afraid to offer new ideas. He shouldn't be afraid to say, hey, you know, I know last year we did this this way. I'm not sure if there's a specific reason for that, but how about trying it this way instead? And so I think it's important to, when you're new, to recognize that things are there for a reason. So don't just assume your idea is better. Your idea might be better, but it might not work because there's a reason behind it, right? And so kind of the same for you, when you're looking at things, you can question, you can say, do we have to do it this way? Or is there a reason why we do it this way? Because if you understand that there is a reason why, then even if you have an idea, you might say, oh, well, it doesn't matter because that, that makes more sense. I think you being a former team leader, joining a team that has that team leader, again, it's just a, a commitment from the both of you to recognize that you're both experienced educators and you both have strengths to offer. And so I do think it's important for you to take the back seat at times to recognize the fact that, yes, I am new to this grade level and I don't have the breadth of experience, but also with you guys being split, you're math and science. Like you're the only one teaching that. So you have, you're going to own that. And your grade level partner is teaching ELA and she's going to own that. And so it's really coming together on common grade level stuff, grade level activities, uh, expectations for behavior. I think it's going to be really important for the two of you to be somewhat on the same page for the expectations you have of behavior, because if not, the students are quickly going to see that conflict between the two of you. And so, you know, again, middle school where you typically have all the teachers on a team for a grade level that expectation of behavior is so important. So if you are moving into a new team, you got to fall in line with what they're expecting. You can question it. I would advise you to question it later after you see it roll out. But that, that uh, being on the same page is so important for the outcome of students. And I think to broaden the conversation, I know you're referring to Anthony, but I, I, I think that that's a, an important thing to consider is new teacher yeah unfortunately you you if you're requiring a new teacher I, i'll speak from kristen's point of view kristen has had a new teacher join as a long-term sub for the last three years and you invest so much time and in the short term it just feels like you're investing time and you're just just going to do it again when you get reshuffled up 
but you're also changing the trajectory of their teaching career by providing that guidance. And, and as you mentioned, it's kind of your, it's unwritten, unwritten expectation of the role. The moment that you become, a, I don't know if you would justify it as a tenured teacher or just the opportunity that you are the most experienced to your team, you get to start making those decisions. And it's not that you don't get to beforehand, um, but uh, it, it definitely comes more with the territory when you have been connected to a district or a grade level for a considerable amount of time. And on the flip side, I, I think respect and open, open-mindedness open to the scenario. I think respect to how things were done in the past is a, a huge thing. You touched on that as well. If you're walking into a team and you have new ideas, there is tradition and there is kind of an institution of how that has run, especially if the other person or people have been in that role for a long time. So even though you might want to change it, it might not jive with you. There is also a little bit of respect in that realm of, of how it goes. So I've got a, a real, uh, I don't want to say uncomfortable last question, but I think that it it would not be unreasonable to ask is what happens if you're really unhappy with the grade level shift? What happens if you're being in, put into a position that maybe you're qualified for and budget cuts are no joke and qualifications are real? Like I, I have K through 12 special ed on my certification right now. And it's a real conversation in my household. Do I take that off? Because I don't intend to use it. It was great to me early in my career. But part of the reason I'm moving is because I'm qualified way more than anyone else. And to not play ignorant, ignorance is bliss, we know that there are teacher shortages across the local area, the state, the nation. There is definitely a slight temptation to say hey if if i'm going to be asked to do this the gut reaction is let me leave let me let me go find some place that's going to value you and my honest feedback is you'll probably be in a similar situation or unfortunately we've worked with enough school districts that if you've only worked with one school district grass is distinctively not always greener education is tough tough and working with people is tough and the challenges that are hidden are tough. So what is kind of your, your stance on someone that says, you know, I, I feel like I have the power, I have the position. Should they consider leaving and interviewing elsewhere? What is your guidance when you feel like, even, obviously different if you feel disrespected or um, potentially you need a fresh start based off Kind of conceptions of how you are as an educator but what is kind of your guidance because it feels very easy to say oh if this doesn't work out then i'm i'm going to find the preferred grade level somewhere else because the the news keeps on telling me there's availability i think that i think i, I look at it two different ways sometimes i feel as though and i and i don't want this to sound in a negative way. Sometimes I, I feel as though teachers forget that they are employed professionals to a business, which is your district. And when you are certified for a grade level ban, 
whether it's elementary or a subject area, and again, another grade level band as a secondary teacher, that is the certification that you hold and your district has the right and the responsibility to place you where they think you will do best or where they need you for their business to operate best. And so, yes, it can be frustrating if you are moved into a grade level you truly don't want, or you are moved to schools, or you are moved to a course that you don't want to teach as a, as a high school teacher. But at the end of the day, you are an employee to a business that has the right to do that. And so I think you have to have that mindset and you have to look for the positive side of it. Because if you're going in bitter, your students are going to suffer. And so could you look at another district? Sure. But remember, it's another business and you still hold that same certification. And so I don't really think that's accomplishing any sort of goal. I, if I were being moved, so I've moved many times, but it's been under my own pursuit. If I were moved, you know, voluntold style like you are, I would want to know in depth why I'm being moved. And even if the reasoning is, you know, you have those bubble classes, as an elementary teacher, you have bubble classes where you typically have two per grade level, but there's this pocket of one grade level that has three. And so that causes moves every year. Or as a secondary teacher, you, again, you have grade levels that have different sizes and, you know, you may teach three sections of this and two sections of this. And next year you're teaching three sections of the same, but your two other sections are going to be a whole new course. Those, those changes and shifts happen all the time. And so even if it is financially driven for the district to move you, because like I said, because of change of populations, I would still inquire repeatedly from my administrators, why am I being moved? Why do you think that I will be best for this position? Yes, I get that you had to move me or I get that you had to move someone, but why? What do you think I'm going to do really well in this new grade level? Why do you think this will be a new opportunity for me? And that might be based on your strengths. It might be based on your weaknesses in your previous position or might be based on both. But I would inquire as to why you're being moved so that you can apply that to your new position. You can say, okay, great. They, they saw that I do X, Y, and Z really successfully. I want to continue to apply that to this new grade level. They saw that A, B, and C were weaknesses in my previous position. And this new grade level may allow me to eliminate some of those weaknesses because those barriers won't be there. Or uh, those there's certain students in that in there, or there's families in there that they need to move me, whatever the case is, I would really work to inquire why, and then be reflective, be open, and maybe tuck your ego a little bit and accept that and go in with a positive mindset so you can create the best learning experience for your students. Well, and I think that's where it is, it is not a realistic situation. I think we all recognize these days to say, I'm going to be a fourth grade teacher for 32 out of my 35 years in this profession. And it is different than when we were growing up. And I mentioned like, you can have people that feel like an institution of that grade level. And because they may not want to move me that I don't think they wanted to, I, I got ahead of it. And I don't know your feelings on that too. I offered this once I heard the standards from changing once I heard that there was a position open, I said, I, I was 
team PV, you know, for the team. If you need to move me because I know that I'm qualified, I know that I could bring value to this, you know how I feel about teaching science. I would rather be moved as an asset as opposed to the conversation. So I walked into that meeting and I knew before I was walking into that meeting that I'd already opened myself up to that possibility. This was just a formality of being told something that I kind of already had opened myself up to. And that's another thing that I I did early on in my switch. I talked to my superintendent and my admin and I said, hey, this is something I'd be interested in doing when I first, and it took two years to move from special ed into regular ed. And in this situation, I had a conversation back in the winter saying, hey, I know this person's retiring. I know that I'm qualified. If it comes to me or my co-partner that I think is really finding a groove in this grade level, just know that I'm willing to do it if it's for the best of our team. So when I say voluntold, luckily I had a, a role in it. But all in all, like I'm, I'm excited about this change. There's a lot of work ahead of me in this change. Um, and I think that what you're saying, Ken, about the business aspect and the matter of fact, we only can look from the perspective of what we've had. And we've talked to so many people from so many different roles, admin to principal specifically of a building, to grade level teachers, to specialists, to outside contractors. And it's really difficult to zoom out of our POV as a classroom teacher to understand that my admin don't want me to be challenged and strived and given extra work. That's not a goal, but it's a business decision, as you said. And I was the most capable to do it successfully. If you can understand that ahead of time, you know, I give a lot specific to this grade level. That grade level is going to need to make adjustments. I understand that. But it, it's the idea of what is that big picture? What needs to be accomplished so everyone's compliant? I think that's a, a portion of it as well that we kind of have to swallow and recognize change is not a bad thing. I, I, I don't know how you feel about it. Every five-ish years, you know, the idea of teaching the same thing nine years, I wasn't super pumped about that anyway. So uh, let's let's change it up, shift it up, and, and see where it takes us. I don't know if you have any questions or thoughts that you want me to give feedback before we wrap up tonight. I don't think so. I think we've I think we've hit this topic pretty well, and I, I do think change is good. Change, like you said, it's hard. You're going to work more this. You're going to work more next year than you did this year. That's just a reality. You have new materials to prepare. You have new lessons to look at. You have new standards to teach. But it's part of the game. It's part of what we do, and it's part of the ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows of teaching. Whereas when you're in that same subject, you're in that same course, you're in that same grade level, it does get a little bit easier just because you know what to expect. You know what the targets are, and you just have to adjust to the students that are are sitting in front of you. And I just think it's important for teachers, like you said, Matt, to remember 35 years. If, you, if you're in this game for the standard, typical career where you, you work to the uh, optimal retirement age and retirement years, you could be teaching for that 35-year mark. And so you have a new opportunity to have a whole new phase of your career. You're no, in 10 years, you're no longer going to be just the fourth grade teacher. 
you have this new asset that you're going to build. And it's going to give you the opportunity to reflect and learn. You might look at this and say, wow, I love fifth grade more than I loved fourth grade now. And you might say, you know, in five, eight years, I want to give sixth grade a shot. Or you might say, nope, the older I got, the less I like this. I want to give second grade a shot. I want to, I want to go down a couple of grade levels because maybe that's going to match my personality and what I do. And so it's easy to assume what we've been teaching for so long is what we're meant to teach. But if you're not bouncing around and you're not trying new things, you can't, you can't know that that's, that's true. Right. And so, yeah, I'm even seeing that as a, as a secondary coach. What I like to teach middle school, what I like to teach high school, which I'm not certified for, but I could be, um, or, you know, is elementary truly my, my wheelhouse? And so I still don't know that answer because I'm still learning and growing and experiencing. And so for our listeners, if you're going through change or change is on the horizon or you're in year two of, of change, just really work on your mindset, work on your mindset and approaching it, find the value of it, find the benefits of it. And and really look at how you can maximize the opportunity for your students. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Awesome. So thank you everyone for listening. If you have not already, please consider subscribing to our podcast wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube. Uh, like I said, our summer series, we still have a few more left for this summer where we're hyper-focusing on really, really great topics. Uh, check out our social media. You can see a graphic where we kind of showcase what all of those topics will be and then tune back in starting in September. We'll get back to our, our typical bread and butter where we have unbelievable guests learning about their passions and their, and their classrooms week in and week out. So Matt, why don't you shut us on down here? All right. As we power down this episode, hopefully you are relaxing, uh, not needing to be powered up quite yet, but uh, starting to churn the wheel of what, what that next school year is looking like. And, uh, bringing your best. So with that being said, thank you for your time, Ken, and uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators. We're making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.